0: Hello and welcome everybody. This is episode four, season two of High Action. Today I'm going to be joined with my man, the main man, Mr. John Story. John, how's it going, dude? It's going great. A little early there in Los Angeles, huh? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Today had to do it a little bit earlier than normal. This is the commitment that we have to you here uh, on the High Action Podcast. Even when our uh, third member, Will Brom, can't make it live on the Zoom, uh, we're still coming at you with just John and I here. And today, we're excited to talk about scales and arpeggios, something that I think a lot of guitar players try to work on at different points in their practicing routines. And we have a lot of fun things about those two topics that we're going to share with you guys today. So we're excited to jump in on all this and uh, don't be too concerned about will Brom. he's somewhere else in the country uh right now traveling from place to place and he did leave us a little video so we're going to reference a surprise video at the end of the podcast and see what that joker has to say about uh, playing scales and arpeggios i hope it's good you know because if he's not here He's just throwing in a little video, John. It better be pretty good, don't you think? <laughs> sure, leaves it open to
1: uh, to debate for sure. We can we can yeah. see if we can see if we agree with it or not.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, well, this episode also is going to be themed. Um, try to make fun of Will as much as possible throughout. So since he's not here, that's one of <laughs> one of the other themes of the episode. Uh, so here we are, scales and arpeggios. Okay. Uh, Man, this is a huge topic, and we're going to try to fit it all into a half an hour. So I'd say, for me, one of the scales and arpeggios that has made a huge difference for me over the years, and we're going to cover a bunch of stuff here in the next 30 minutes, but uh, I started working on the Segovia scales about 10 years ago, and that really kind of helped me get into the mode of, of working on scales as a daily part of my practice. John, are there any scales that have been part of your daily practice that have kind of helped you elevate your playing over the years? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I just
1: honestly, I keep it kind of simple. I stick to just major and minor scales, two octaves, circle of fifths. And what I found over the years, like um, in the beginning, it was it was about being able to play them and and get a good sound, get a good tone. And then what you notice is, especially if you play scales in a really organized way, every time you practice, like every single time you practice, you kind of start developing relative pitch. You start remembering Mm -hmm. keys. Um, And it's not really perfect pitch that I have. I think you guys probably have this too, but I I can hear keys so easy now because I know it's because my routine is that literally every day when I... Play the guitar. I just run my scales in the circle of fists, major and and minor. And it's funny how like thirty years of that, really starting when I was seven or eight years old, kind of develops that kind of ear training over time.
0: I know it's like eating your vegetables, right? <laughs> it's mm, just so yeah. good for you, uh, your ears. It's so good for your technique. Um, so let's dive into this a little bit, okay? I want to I want to hear about your initial routine, John, and and let me share a little bit with the listener about the Segovia scales to start with. We're going to cover a bunch of different basses here with scales and arpeggios today. So let's just talk quickly about the aforementioned Segovia scales. Uh, They were uh, sort of developed by the great classical guitarist Andres Segovia. Uh, They've been widely used by jazz guitarists, classical guitarists, rock guitar players, and essentially the challenge of the Segovia scales is you're ascending uh, in the major scale in one position uh, and going throughout different positions on the guitar, and then you're also playing the melodic. I'm sorry, you're playing the relative minor, and you're ascending uh, melodic minor and descending natural minor on the way down from that. So starting in the first key, let's start in C. I'm gonna ascend in C major, and I'm gonna descend in C major in a different position, and then I'm going to ascend in A minor, and descend in a different position. It sounds like this. And then from A minor you can get down to G major. there I'm going down to where? The relative minor, E minor. So, you go through all the different keys, like John was mentioning, you go through the circle of fifths in this way, going from the major to the relative minor, and ascending throughout the neck, and descending in different position, uh, and doing the same thing with the relative minor. So, it's a tremendous scale. exercise, the Segovia scales. You can work on this basically your entire life as a guitar player and there's still room to grow on this. Uh, You're playing major scales and minor scales starting with the root on the E string, also starting with the root on the A string, and it's just really terrific to kind of get the coordination and phrasing that you want between your right and your left hand. Uh, John, when you practice some of these scales, do you ever go between doing you know, some sessions where you're picking every note with your right hand and making the articulation um, really deliberate in that sense? And then do you also practice doing uh, patterns where you're hammering on and pulling off and trying to develop more of a legato sound? Do you, do you kind of go between those two worlds when you're practicing scales?
1: Yeah, and it kind of is tied into how fast I'm playing them. You know, Mm -hmm. um, generally I like, for me I feel like 120 is such a, you know, 12 o'clock kind of tempo, (laughs) no pun intended. And, you know, playing scales at about 120, you're looking at somewhere like eighth notes. I'm trying to get every note to be equal in length right there and Mm -hmm. trying to make it so that when I made that little tiny position change at the octave that you don't hear the difference. And I'm sure you'd agree with me, too. Don't you feel like over the years you get more and more um, anal about making sure that things are... Right, that the center of pitch is right, and that the note length is correct. So I, I find that those those measurements can be done at those smaller tempos. And then as you're starting to get closer to like 16th notes, at, you know, 144, maybe then I'm starting to kind of hammer on and pull off a little bit more. And that's if I'm using the pick. A lot of times I'll warm up with my scales without a pick.
0: That's too. a good point, using the fingers. Yeah, we, we have an upcoming episode where we're just going to talk about finger, finger technique, finger style technique on the guitar. So um, be be looking for that as it comes up. You reminded me of something, John, when you talked about being really anal <laughs> on, on the fretboard and on the instrument. And uh, the funny thing that that reminded me of was the sponsor of this episode, which is the great Stephen Marquion, the luthier. <laughs> and this guy is just so exact about his measurements with the guitar, and his fretboards are just incredible, the way that they're laid out. So for the listeners, uh, you know that John and Will both have uh, an instrument by Stephen Marchion, and I would definitely go check them out. Uh, if you're at all interested in a high-quality, great guitar that you can burn your scales on and, and really uh, be ready for just about any challenge thrown at you as a guitar player that is a a great instrument to get you're pretty happy with your guitar aren't you john
1: oh yeah i love it it's 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 amazing i i um yeah it's probably one of four or five arch tops i've played in my life that i think are the the best i i love it yeah he's he's great he's a great builder for sure
0: yeah shout out to steven Marchione, those are great guitars okay so We talked a little bit about some of the scales that John and I have uh, regularly worked on. Uh, There's a bunch more that we're going to get into here on this episode. So I mentioned the Segovia scales. John mentioned uh, something very similar, which is basically the major scales going in circle of fifths. It's basically the same thing. And trying to play them with a metronome, which he also mentioned, which I think is a really important aspect to doing your scales because... You can establish a benchmark as a guitar player. So, if you know that, you know you're, you can play your scales. Uh, you can play your G major scale at 120 uh, eighth notes. Then you kind of have a way to establish your progress as a player. And and maybe two months from now you can get that up to 140 comfortably. I also think, John. Let me know what you think about this. The the difference between practicing your scales where you're playing eighth notes and eighth note triplets. I feel like is a really interesting thing to discuss on the guitar because the phrasing is different and that gets into how you're articulating with the left hand and the right hand. Do you practice in both the eighth note and the triplet feel for some of these scales? Certainly. Yeah, and, and a really good scale to do that on, which is another one that I wanted to mention here, is the chromatic scale. So this is a big one for uh, all guitar players. I like to do it where I just start with my first finger on the A string. Um, uh, Sorry, my first finger on A on the low E string. It's not that early in New York, but maybe I should have (laughs) some more coffee over here. (laughs) It is. uh, It's about 10, 11 o'clock over here. So anyway, the chromatic scale, starting on the low E string at the note A, Uh, If you're on the Patreon, then you can check this out uh, with the video, which I highly recommend. But you're essentially just going up the scale stepwise. Okay, and then you're descending. Okay, so if my quarter note's right here, then I've got 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and that's the 8th note that you're practicing, right? And then it's really good to also practice the triplet. Okay, so having a feel for both the eighth note and the triplet is a is a great way um, to kind of elevate your playing, uh, because that's often as jazz guitar players a lot of the phrasing that we're dealing with is combining eighth notes and triplets, right? And the chromatic scale is a wonderful way to approach. Working on both of those uh, different subdivisions. Mm-hmm. Anything to add, John, on the chromatic scale? Any other ways that you practice that scale? Well, actually, speaking bef- almost um, on the triplet
1: idea, too. Yeah. Um, you know, when we listen back. To a lot of the early jazz guitarists, starting kind of with Charlie Christian and Django, you know, these guys, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, the legend of Django was he played with two fingers. I mean, reality, he kind of played with three fingers a lot of the time. And and Charlie Christian played with three fingers. Mm -hmm. And then that led to George and Wes and Kenny and Grant. You know, you watch a lot of their videos. There's not a lot of footage of Grant, but you see that one footage of Grant. And he's not really using his pinky finger. He's pretty much using three fingers. And, um... You know, my theory on that, too, is that on guitar, that that triplet feel, you know, the doodly, 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 doodle like the speed and just the efficiency, plus the strength of your first, second and third finger is so much more dominant than the strength on your pinky finger because it shares the joint Mm -hmm. with your third finger. So I think that it's very natural for guitar players to um, play things in in triplets and kind of organize scale stuff, like think about when you start your major scale, of course, there's kind of that the classic derivation of the two octave diatonic major scale from Segovia's method where you start with two notes on on the A string and then go to three. And Bill Levitt, who kind of invented the Berkeley guitar program, you know, he talked about the extended major scale forms where you play three notes. And that to me, like, thinking about triplets like that, trying to get that really steady I I agree I think that that's more applicable when you're playing stuff like straight ahead jazz or anything with a shuffle beat or if you're even blues or hammer on pull off type of soloing I think when we think about three notes to a string that can really help that articulation practicing that
0: I fully agree and there's different ways you can do that whether you're using the pinky or not right because what you were just Mm -hmm. demonstrating you were using your pinky and John was stretching his hands out, right? Because mm-hmm. this is another important aspect of this. So like, if you're playing uh, just the notes C, D, E, right? Starting on the mm-hmm. third fret on the A string, you know, there's, there's a few different ways you can approach doing that, right? Like the first finger on C at the third fret, the second finger on D at the fifth fret, and the pinky stretches Um, to E on the 7th fret, right? Right. Versus playing the second finger on C, the pinky on D, and then switching strings to play E, right? So Mm -hmm. if you're getting three fingers on a string, equaling three notes, then I completely agree, John, you can get that triplet feel a lot more happening, especially if you've got some sort of legato technique happening where you're hammering, hammering on and pulling off on the strings. If you're picking every single note, it's a little, it's not quite as uh, necessary, I feel like. Yeah. Because you're Mm -hmm. still articulating no matter where you're using your fingers. But, like, yeah, it really helps me. Um, Yeah. So you can see all I'm pretty much using there is first finger, second finger, and pinky to get around the neck. And keeping that sort of solid form as you transition from uh, position to position around the guitar really can help your phrasing so yeah i'm glad that you you brought that up and the ability to kind of stretch your fingers um, and use either first second and third or first third and fourth Mm -hmm. or first second uh and pinky, right? That would be the other yes. option. So yeah,
1: and, and also with the right hand, too, then if we stop and we let go of the pick for a minute, we can think of our our thumb and first finger, which is kind of anti-classical guitar in a way, right? Because with classical guitar, we learn M-I-M-I-M. Right. Or we can play like that. Or we can go, I like thumb first. It's kind of like how Lenny Bro played, and there are a lot of great jazz guitarists who've used fingers Joe Pass. And then we can figure thumb first middle. And when we get that fingering down, the PMI or PIM uh, in the right hand, you'll notice that that can, that can help you with getting well exp- different sound out of the guitar for one for mm-hmm. sure, mm-hmm. but um, I find that, that 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 feeling that sensation in the right hand of moving your fingers like that mm-hmm. to me has always been more natural to feel in a subdivision than like with pick where it's really in the wrist or your fingers. So I um, yeah I'm always kind of going back and forth between those. I encourage the the listeners mm-hmm. who are who haven't ever really done that spend a little time this week practicing with your thumb, your index and your middle finger with a triplet subdivision on the guitar and see see how that feels cuz you might be surprised it could it comes pretty easily sometimes when you're a jazz guitar player.
0: Yeah, definitely. And there's a lot to learn with the fingerstyle technique. You know that if you feel like you're more comfortable with a pick, you should still try it because it will inform the way that you're picking as well, Um, because you'll just open up your ears to a different way of approaching the guitar. And it's also a really nice sound, too, that you can establish. Um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of guitar players... I mean, we interviewed a bunch of guys that are more comfortable with their fingers, some guys that are more comfortable with the pick. I mean, either way, I feel like you You have to really practice it. <laughs> you know, like you, to master the guitar pick takes a long time. To master your fingers takes a long time. Um, and there's you're gonna have you know different strengths and and uh, areas that you can get into quicker, whether you're using a pick or fingers, but you really have to work on it. Uh, that's that's one thing that I've noticed. Speaking yeah. of working on it, let's let's keep moving through some scales and patterns here that we want to get to. We also want to talk about arpeggios today. So again, we talked about the Segovia scales, the chromatic scale, the major scale in different positions, working with a metronome. Now let's talk about playing um, the major scale in seven different positions, okay? So like if you're starting, let's just say G major, I'll see if I can demonstrate this really quickly, um, and then John, you can talk about doing them in, in, in different intervals and things if you want, but just a, a really classic way to practice your scales is to start on the root. Say G, third fret, low E string. Okay, then do the same thing starting on A, right? Same notes, but now we're playing the Dorian scale. Okay. Next one is gonna be Phrygian. Sorry. Lydian. Mix Lydian. Last but not least, Locrian. So you can do these modes for major, you can do these modes for minor, harmonic, melodic, natural, Dorian even. You can pretty much take any scale and work on it in seven different positions. So uh, I encourage all the listeners and the players out there to just start doing that if you haven't already with the G major scale, the Ionian mode and go through your modes with the root starting on the low E string and G. Uh, it's, it's a great thing to kind of practice. John, any, anything to add to that on, on your practicing in that zone?
1: Well, yeah, and speaking to the students, too, um, I think it's a really great idea when you're thinking of scales, you know, um, start by... Observing them against the sixth and fifth strings, so that you're really identifying mm-hmm. the the root names of yeah. the scales, especially if you're playing scales in root position. you're mm-hmm. you know we're talking about also playing scales in multiple um, positions in one key, mm-hmm. uh, which is a skill. every every advanced guitar player should should start learning that. Um, but it's, yeah, in the beginning, it's so great to, when you look down, you really want to have that sixth string and the fifth string light up and see all those keys and yeah. know where they are, especially from the open position through the 12th fret. Um, and then eventually you'll start seeing the fretboard all over. Cause I don't know about you. That's the, that seems to be one of the number one questions I get from advancing students when they come study with me is show me some scale patterns to kind of help me get around the neck. And I'm really trying to identify the notes up and down the neck. And for me, I feel like those fifth, sixth strings, that's where we want to be starting this from when we're organizing these scales.
0: Exactly, because you can, like you said, you can get a better indication of what your root is and what it all relates to, the tonic, as, it, as they say. So yeah. let's talk about doing these scales in another way you could level them up, which is doing them in different intervals, right? Uh, John, last episode, you were talking about doing some of your scales in sixths, which are really interesting. Yes. I kind of like practicing them in thirds too. So like take that major scale. That's a great way to kind of warm up and you can go all the way up the neck with that. You can also do it on a minor scale. Let's take the harmonic minor. So, you know, doing your scales in thirds is a, a really great approach, actually, especially for jazz. I found that to be um, really applicable to your playing. Uh, have you noticed, I think I know the answer to this question, but I just want to hear you talk about it. Have you noticed that, like, when you warm up on scales a lot, it's really helpful for your playing, but you can kind of also cross into a line where you're, like, over-practice. Like, there's a sweet spot, right, when it comes to what you're practicing and how that informs your playing. Like, you can go too far. (laughs) Yeah, You know what I'm saying?
1: Well, I think part of that just comes from the old saying, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. So you have to have have a goal in mind. So just playing scales isn't a goal. You know, right. that, what, what, where what, that's an area, that's a, an area of playing, but within that area, there's ear training, there's left hand, right hand technique, yes. there's fretboard knowledge and fretboard, I guess you could say fretboard theory. There's a mapping out the fretboard organizing things. So yeah, we want to be really specific. And that's why I'm, I really encourage like my students all keep practice journals and every week we talk about like, okay, what, what tempo did you do your scales at this week? And. First of all, it kind of gamifies it for younger students. They love seeing that their number goes up a little bit each week. Let's do eighth notes at 130. Let's do them at 140. So sometimes we focus on the tempo, but um, tempo is oftentimes emphasized too much as well. Sometimes I feel like people should really spend time slowly practicing scales, really working on their sound. Um, Because I kind of feel like that's where we mine our sound is the slower ways of practicing and scales are like this kind of equilibrium point we want we want to be listening for inconsistencies in our playing when we play scales inter- yeah. like you just did an intervallic study if we hear inconsistencies when we play intervals that's that's a sign that we need to slow down and really investigate: Is the right hand not syncing up with the left hand? Um, mm-hmm. Is my left hand not getting onto the string in the proper place at the tip of the finger? Is mm-hmm. my thumb in the wrong place in the left hand, creating a thin sound? So yeah,
0: yeah. There's lots of lots to address when you're working on scales, and I like that idea of just kind of remembering the point of it. Right. The point of it is not to necessarily transfer that into the way you play. And just be a completely scalar type of player, someone who just regurgitates scales like <clears throat> Will Brahm. <clears throat> uh, no, I'm joking. But yeah, it's just it's it's good to train your technique and train your ears, and then try to divorce yourself a little bit from it when you're playing. I think that's yes. that's an important disclaimer for us to mention here. Uh, okay, so we talked a little bit about the major scale in different seven seven positions, doing that in the minor scale as well, and playing them in thirds. Again, all this stuff we're talking about with scales, it's always great to do it with a metronome and focus on your sound. Uh, There's another phrase that, John, you and I have talked about a lot, which is, if you want to learn something fast, practice it slow. So this is kind of what John was talking about when, you know, don't just do something too quick that you're glossing over the details of your sound or the consistencies of your phrasing practice it slowly at first and then you'll eventually be learning it um, much faster and
1: yeah. do you remember um, Joe Diorio telling us that he used to sit and watch TV and play his scales a lot? That was what he did, like subconsciously. <laughs> yeah. And then Perry, when he moved from California, you remember you and I went over there and had lunch with him and he gave me his TV because I had just moved into my new <laughs> apartment out of USC and I didn't have a TV. And he was like, man, you don't have a TV. Take my TV. I never could watch that TV because it reminded me of how much I needed to practice. (laughs) But, you know, the idea of the subconscious scale work is interesting. I remember John Clayton talking about Ray Brown in their lessons. Ray would ask him questions like how his day was while he was warming up with his scales. And Ray used to say things like, man, you should be able to have a full-on conversation when you're playing your scales because it should be so ingrained, so subconscious, you shouldn't be thinking about it. And he would just start ha- trying to have a conversation with John in his lesson so that he would just be playing and not be thinking about it. And that, I've, do you? Do oh, you let's find try it. To let's be try ve- it.
0: Play a scale. Okay. I'm going to ask you about your
1: day. <laughs> All right. All right. You ready? Yeah. Here we go. Oops. I got to have some sound first. There
0: we go. All right. <laughs> Oh, man. So, John, tell me about your weekend. Did you go on any man. nice hikes around L.A. or anything? What, what, yeah, it was nice.
1: I mean, the weather here has been really beautiful, you know? This time of year, it's it's interesting. Is it fall or are, like, the leaves just dying? Is that what's going
0: on? Well, you know, who is dying are the hopes and dreams of all the Dodger fans because you didn't make uh, it to the World Series this year, thankfully. Well,
1: yeah, but, you know, the, the Giants really had to set the path for that.
0: though. Perry, yeah, we know? did. Yeah, we I did. Mean, we, we I
1: mean, I you, you guys really... Guys. I think you guys represent what it's like to gracefully. Oops! See, there I go. I just had to stop. I just just messed
0: up. Yeah, that's a fun exercise. I mean, I would I would preface that with like, learn how to do it the right way first, and like kind of establish it a little bit in your own plane, and then see if you can reach that kind of subconscious level where you can watch your favorite, you know, uh, favorite shows on ESPN while you run your scales. So you're not, you're not. playing them the wrong way subconsciously either that's that's important i'm sure ray brown had it down the right way (laughs) i'm sure yeah yeah. and
1: and you know again it's like the what's the point having a point with this stuff so scales are an area of our playing that we have to address now the point might be you know hey today i just want to practice scales and see if i can do it subconsciously i mean i remember when we were on the road perry you had a travel backpacker martin guitar and you used to practice (laughs) in the car with that thing for fun and you know we would just be sitting there having conversations and we'd all be noodling on that guitar and i mean there's there's that element i drove brady
0: cohen crazy with that thing (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's just having having the aim. And um, for some students, that can be a fun, you know, kind of a fun thing to try to see how well they really know something because it really shows you if you know it. Right. But um, observing what, what scales can do for you in the time I find with students, a lot of times they, they just overlook the value in the ear training. They mm-hmm. overlook the value in getting good tone. And you're working on your left-hand te- position technique, your right-hand technique. Almost all, like I would say 90% of the students that are working on their scales come to me and they just want to learn how to play them faster. They just want to play fast, as fast as possible. And yeah. sometimes I'm like, oh, well, that's part of it. And that's great to work on your chops, but let's investigate um, articulating every single note versus, as you said earlier on, hammering off and pulling on, you know, so to our listeners, I challenge people to do that. And for that matter, if you're practicing this week and want to tag high action on Instagram, uh, we'll repost one of the, your videos are working on a scale exercise, yeah. so uh, show us what you guys are working on with your scales right now, and we'll uh, you know keep this community rolling here.
0: And remember, scales and arpeggios, which we're going to talk about next, are a great warm-up tool for your playing. So it's not necessarily necessarily the point to play them fast. It's a point to kind of get your fingers, um, and and your ears like open and loose, so you can play fast in the moment with what you're improvising. It's not always about Learning how to burn down a scale. No one's ever really going to ask you to do that in a live setting, you know, uh, right. or in a recording or something. So let's transition here a little bit and talk about arpeggios. And uh, the first thing that I wanted to do when talking about arpeggios was just talk about the way that you can ascend and descend on like an F major arpeggio throughout the seven positions of the guitar. So I'm going to demonstrate this, Uh, I'm going to start on the first fret on the low E string, uh, and I'm going to ascend up the major scale arpeggio, uh, major arpeggio and descend in a different position and do that a few times going up the guitar. Here we go. So I went basically from the first fret up to about the 12, 14, 15, 17th fret. So you're really moving and you can do that with any different scale. I did that with the major scale, I did with the dominant scale. Dominant arpeggio I mean, major uh, minor 7 arpeggio. notes on that one. But you can do that with the minor, with the diminished, with the augmented, and it's a really great workout. Um, You go all the way up and down the neck, you're learning the arpeggios in in seven different positions. Uh, It's a really great workout. I also like doing it um, starting in the third position, but shifting up to the 15th fret as well, so it looks and sounds like this. This is the G major 7. I'm going to shift on the third string. back on the fourth string. That's a great one. You can do it in B-flat as well. will try that one again. Uh. There we go. Man, it's good practice for us as well. I mean, the, the practicing of your arpeggios kind of never seems to end, I think. But I highly recommend Working on arpeggios as well, going through major, minor seven, dominant, diminished, and augmented. Um, John, anything to add on the arpeggio list?
1: Yeah, I mean, and again, just to reiterate, I know I've drilled this home a lot today. when we play arpeggios, it allows us to cover a a, a harmonic area real quick. You know, you, it's kind of like zooming out, like when we zoom in on when you're looking on a map, you can see like the, the streets, and mm-hmm. then you zoom way out, and you're seeing more like the highway or the the overall yeah. area. And that's what arpeggios are, and it's really great for your ear to kind of take in the whole harmony like that and really hear the root against all of that root um, third five. You know, seven, for those. Right. Of, yeah. And for those out there who are singing and playing, I encourage you to pitch a, to sing a pitch inside of the arpeggio and hold it while you're playing the key so And if you kind of practice that, that can help internalize the root, or you can pick mm-hmm. the third or the major seventh. Um, remember back in ear training when we were in college, how we'd always have to sing like a pitch, and then okay, sing the major seventh above that. Now go down a half step. Finally, like when we're studying our arpeggios, that can help. Um, you know, singing along with what we're doing can can really help us hear what we're doing.
0: Yeah, and the arpeggios also are a great way to kind of work on playing changes, which is a thing that holds up a lot of guitar players. So like if you're working in G and you've got, there's your major seven arpeggio, here's your dominant seven arpeggio. And if you have a chord that you're trying to play over, like a G7, a G13, you can take those notes in the arpeggio, the root, third, fifth, and seventh, and kind of get creative with them, and use just those notes, but maybe you're playing them more like, you're combining chromaticism within there, You're doing different kinds of enclosures on those notes chromatically. You're playing them in different uh, positions. So like a different, um, like check this out. Okay, so I'm in G one, two, just using the arpeggio position. it's so simple to sort of develop ideas within the arpeggio once you're really comfortable with it and get creative with it so that's another big way that working on arpeggios can translate into your playing your Mm improvising Indeed. okay I think this is a good time for us to share a surprise video from Mr. Will Brom who apparently is too busy to be here Uh, he's (laughs) working on his hair or something I feel like I'm not sure what he's doing right now Uh, Let's take a listen to this here. He is coming at us from a hotel room somewhere and This is what he has to say about arpeggios
2: So some great arpeggio exercises um, in addition to you know practicing the five core types of arpeggios major minor minor flat five uh, dominant seven diminished seven etc try breaking up um the intervals so if i take g major and i want to arpeggiate let's start with a triad just g major triad the obvious way is to just play inside of a position but let's try skipping every other note so Let's try that with uh, seventh chord, G major seven, right? right. Uh. Still something I need to work on, obviously. Uh, and the last thing, incorporating this into your practice habits, running it through a tune. Um, Sometimes when I'm learning a song and I'm trying to remember the chord changes, trying to just have a steady flow of whether whether they're scale passages or arpeggios and just outlining the tune. So in a more extreme example, maybe take a song like 26-2, which has a lot of cadence points. Uh, we'll, We'll do it at a medium tempo, and I'll just try to Outline the chord changes and connect the dots. Um, again, this is a little more exercise-based. Um, it's it's not necessarily phrasing-oriented. However, you could consider it sequence-oriented, where you're ideally following sequences through a set of changes. So one, two, I uh, want two, three, and. So I hope that was helpful, and uh, I'm excited to hear what John and Perry have to say about this.
0: Well, what I have to say about that is he needs to get back in the shed, man, because ah. I don't know if he's heard the New West version of 26.2 from 10-plus years ago, 15 years ago at this point, but yep. that's what that was reminded me of. No, I'm joking. Well, that's great advice, um, essentially doing your arpeggios, in, in different sequences, like he's talking about. Kind of like we were talking about with the scales, doing those in thirds. You can pick up the arpeggios that way. And then applying it to a song. And he picked 26-2, which is like an incredible song that you can work on. It's, it's confirmation, but with Coltrane changes, right, John, essentially? Yeah. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, we had a, a, a great New West arrangement of that that we used to do back in the day when we were a quartet. And yeah, you guys can find that somewhere online, uh, I think. And yeah, it's cool to hear Will play that and just kind of navigate his way through that harmony that's moving every couple of beats. He's using his knowledge of arpeggios all over the fretboard to be able to improvise like that. So you know, we just can't stress enough that all these things we're talking about, scales, arpeggios, there are ways to apply them to your playing and your improvising and being a jazz artist. That's why they're so important. one of the reasons why they're so important. Anything to add, John, before we wrap up this epic episode? Yeah, um, well, I would
1: just love to challenge, again, our listeners um, to go this week and and check out some of what their typical scale routine is. And if they've got questions, engage with us on our social media. And um, it would be kind of fun to see what people are working on, like how Perry demonstrated today that chromatic scale is pretty cool. And um, I was kind of sharing with everybody a little bit about just basic organization of, like, say, diatonic skills, circle of fifths. If anybody's doing some of that, um, post a little clip in your story and, uh, and yeah, tag high action
0: in it. We'd love to see what you guys are working on. Here's one little exercise that I remember we used to work on a lot as New West Guitar Group. I think our former member, Matt Roberts, showed this to me. I call it the, inv- it's the inverted tritone exercise, but mm. I affect affectionately refer to it as the spidey fingers exercise, (laughs) but you basically start, and we'll leave you with this, you basically start with your first finger on F and you kind of go down the strings in a tritone setting like, okay, and then that's taking you to the third string G and then you go backwards and invert that with your first finger on the first fret of G. For those of you that are lucky enough to be on our Patreon, you can see this. So I encourage everybody to hook up the Patreon so they can see the video of this. And move it up. Let's see who can do the spidey finger exercise. Uh, And anyone wants to tag us on Instagram, that would be fun. But yeah, it's a great exercise for the guitar. You can work on it with alternating picking, sweet picking, all kinds of fun stuff. And it's sort of a funky little um, exercise to get into to help your playing. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us this week again. It's just a pleasure to have uh, the listeners here each week learning more about the guitar and expanding this community John, anything you want to say to the peeps? Thank you guys so much. We've got two new Patreon followers this week. We appreciate
1: you guys joining us. Uh, and so follow us over there if you guys want to see the video of Perry and I yeah. and, and Will doing um, doing some of these scales today. And um, thank you guys so much. Everybody's been been pitching in this week. The call to action for the reviews on the iTunes store worked. And you guys have been pitching in that. We really appreciate that. And uh, if you haven't smashed that subscribe button, be sure to do that next. <laughs> and but we're thank gonna, you guys
0: for joining us. We appreciate it. We're going to put the full Will Brom video, which was an extra three or four minutes up on our Patreon, uh, for an exclusive for people. So feel free to check that out and wherever you are, Will, we hope to see you next week, dude. All right, everybody have fun and we will see you next week.